Are you looking for a podcast that your whole family can enjoy that asks the deep philosophical questions like, do trees fart? If you are, then you'll love Tumble, a science podcast for kids. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Join us as we explore stories of science discovery, from butts to animals, dinosaurs, astronomy, and everything in between. You'll love these stories, and you'll learn something new. Find and follow Tumble Science Podcast for Kids wherever you get your podcasts, or at sciencepodcastforkids.com. Soundsington Media! But the most fell and furious beast of all other is the Lycorn or Monoceros. His body resembleth a horse, his head a stag, his feet an elephant, his tail a boar. He loweth after an hideous manner, one black horn he hath in the midst of his forehead, bearing out two cubits in length. By report, this wild beast cannot possibly be caught alive. If you didn't already know the title of this episode, What creature would you think these words describe? A creature that is furious, makes a hideous lowing sound, and has a black horn. Does this sound like a unicorn to you? Because that is exactly what the Roman writer Pliny the Elder is describing in this passage from Natural History, written in the year 77. Sure, he called it a lycorn, or a monoceros, but he was trying to paint a picture of the same creature that, today, you or I might describe as graceful, or majestic, or gentle, or beautiful. So how did we go from fell and furious almost 2,000 years ago to the image of the unicorn that we have in our stories today? I'm Elise Parisian, and we'll be exploring all of that and more on today's episode of Unspookable. mythical and magical creature a unicorn is kind of just a horse that has a magical horn in between its ears and uses its rainbow like horn to use magic and create rainbows around 3000 bc the indus valley civilization was thriving it was located in southeast asia in what is now india and pakistan We talk about various Mesopotamian civilizations and ancient Egypt a lot on Unspookable, but the Indus Valley was also at the height of its power during that time. It had excellent city planning and elaborate drainage and irrigation systems, the likes of which would not have been seen in Europe for thousands of years. Archaeological digs over the expanse of their territory have uncovered lots of arts and crafts for practical everyday home use and for decorative purposes. One red clay tablet likely a seal of some kind, which would have been used to make the impression over and over, shows a creature with a body shaped kind of like a bull, the shaggy mane, a thin tail, and one curved horn jutting out of its forehead. So wait, 5,000 years ago in India, or even 2,000 in the case of Pliny the Elder in Rome, did people believe in unicorns the way that some of us might today? Let's take a look at what these folks actually meant by unicorn. Could this be the same creature we're thinking of? 
Pliny the Elder's description gives us some interesting clues. He says the beast is two cubits in length, which would be about three feet, or almost one meter long. Relatively small for a horse-like animal, maybe more of a pony size? The stag head would be like the head of a large deer. The boar's tail would be thin, with some wiry hair at the ends. And the elephant feet, rather than being like hooves, would be more fleshy, with rounded toenails. Imagine all of those features together if you can. Now try to imagine that instead of describing the body as horse-like, what if he had said it was smooth and gray and fleshy, and that the horn was further down towards the nostrils? Does that sound like an animal you know? That's right. Some scholars think that Pliny the Elder may have been describing what we know today as a rhinoceros. The word rhinoceros comes from the Greek rhes, meaning nose, and charis, meaning horn. When Pliny mentions the monoceros, that comes from mono, meaning one, and charis. Lycorn later became the French word for unicorn. So it seems like a lot of creatures were getting jumbled together in the early days of the Western interpretation of the unicorn. In Asia, including the Indus Valley, hybrid creatures with horns, wings, hooves, and other characteristics were part of mythology from the beginning. The Chilin in Chinese or Kirin in Japanese, could also be the basis for unicorn lore. Described as having the body of an ox, deer, or horse, with a mane that flows upwards, thick eyelashes, cloven hooves, and may have a similar face and mouth to that of a Chinese dragon, almost lion-headed. The Chilin often has one or two horns with multiple points, like a stag. Their voices are said to sound like bells or wind chimes, and they appear when an important person is either being born into this world or passing from it. They are a type of magical creature associated with spirituality, omens, and supernatural occurrences. It's possible that the depictions of this creature, as well as the drawings and carvings of the Indus Valley unicorns, influenced the ancient Greeks and Romans, who would have relied on the reports of soldiers or traders who had journeyed east and then came back. Other than the legends of magical beasts, it's also possible that descriptions of real-life rhinoceros, antelope, or even giraffe put the idea of unicorns into people's minds. Animals that were native to the continents of Asia and Africa would likely have sounded like legendary beasts to anyone in Europe. Like a game of telephone, tales of animals in continents south and east of Europe were made so fantastical that as late as the 1300s, people were claiming things like that cotton in India came from a plant that grew actual lambs from the ground, off of which cotton was harvested. Another potential origin of the widespread interest in unicorns may have come from the Bible. In some translations, the Hebrew word riem is taken to mean unicorn. Now many scholars believe the translation should have described something more like a wild ox. But that's the amazing thing about the early origins of unicorn stories. Before we get to a majestic white creature befriending a princess, unicorns were thought of as one and the same with many wild, ferocious beasts, both real and mythological. So what comes next in the unicorn story? I'll tell you about that after this. I don't think unicorns ever existed because I don't think magic exists either, and most unicorns in stories have magic I do not think unicorns ever existed 
because um a rainbow is made out of light and light is not solid so nothing can run on it and no real magic is actually real i think that they could exist because there's horses and it's basically like a horse just with the horn on its head if i saw a unicorn i would probably ride it if i ever saw a unicorn i'd probably go up to it and hug it and ask for money have you ever heard of a type of book called a bestiary even if you hadn't heard the word you might have seen a modern equivalent a bestiary is a book that collects descriptions of various beasts Today we have all kinds of encyclopedias, books, magazines, and websites about animals. But these would have been unheard of to people less than a thousand years ago. In the Middle Ages in Europe, the bestiary was also known as the bestiarum vocabulum, like a vocabulary book that defines animals. Around the 12th century, when these were becoming popular, it would have been extremely rare to own a book or even to be able to read. Books with elaborate illustrations, known as illuminated manuscripts, would have been affordable only to the very rich. Taken as factual at the time, volumes like the Aberdeen Bestiary featured creatures ranging from the cow and goat that would have been found in England where the book was made to animals like the pelican or the elephant that people would have only heard about. They also contained things like dragons, unicorns, basilisks, and griffins all drawn and written about as if they definitely existed. For some, these volumes also had a religious meaning, where each animal was connected to a moral or a certain teaching of Christianity. These descriptions of the unicorn in Europe were the beginning of the West's perception of them. While they were still described as wild, often woodland creatures, likely untamable, their image began to soften a bit to be closer to what we know today. The horn of a unicorn was often the focus of its magical powers, with many stories in the Middle Ages telling of water purified by a unicorn dipping its horn in it, or a person drinking from a unicorn horn being cured of illness. Unicorn horn powder was known as alicorn, and people spent the equivalent of thousands of today's dollars trying to get their hands on it. Cups made of unicorn horn were said to be able to detect and destroy any poison put in them. Today, many of us understand the dangers of hunting animals simply for their horns or tusks. But at the time, people were likely hunting the rhinoceros or narwhal and using their horns as unicorn horns. Elaborate stories, which would amount to fairy tales to us today, were told and retold about the danger and excitement of a unicorn hunt to capture the horn. It is even said that the throne chair of Denmark is made completely out of unicorn horn which, again, is most likely the tusk of the narwhal instead. There were, however, some naysayers to the unicorn mania happening around this time. The Italian explorer Marco Polo, after traveling the Far East in the late 13th and early 14th centuries, tried to explain to people that they didn't seem all that magical at all. They are scarcely smaller than elephants. They have the hair of a buffalo and feet like an elephant's. They have a single large black horn in the middle of the forehead. They have a head like a wild boar's. They spend their time by preference wallowing in mud and slime. They are very ugly brutes to look at. 
they are not at all such as we describe them, but clean contrary to our notions. One popular story from this time claims that a unicorn will fight anything or anyone that comes near it, even a giant elephant. No beast or man can come near it without being challenged to a battle. But if a woman, especially one of nobility, approaches a unicorn, she can tame it easily. Many scholars relate this part of unicorn folklore to the medieval obsession with the qualities said to be most valuable in women. Gentleness, purity, beauty, and submission. The role of women in society was extremely limited, even in courtly circles. Images of knights fighting unicorns, only to be calmed by a gentle lady, were circulated through drawings in manuscripts, embroidery and tapestries, and by oral storytelling. A very famous depiction of a unicorn hunt is depicted in a series known as the Unicorn Tapestries, now in the Cloisters Museum in New York City. Over the course of seven panels, artists depict the hunt, capture, death, and rebirth of a unicorn, shown as a white horse-like creature with a long spiraling white horn, much more in line with lots of modern depictions. The mystery of these tapestries, some of which survive only in fragments, has fascinated people for hundreds of years. Likely created sometime in the 1500s in France, no record exists of the inspiration for or meaning of the story, and no one knows who the artists were. But the panel depicting the capture, though it's only in pieces, is thought to show two women being the only ones capable of catching the unicorn. These days, many of us try to consider people's characteristics and qualities unrelated to their gender, but still, the stories we tell about boys can often be very different than girls, as they were a thousand years ago. No matter your gender, if you were able to meet a unicorn today, what do you think it would be like? Ferocious? Kind? Magical? Or rather like simply meeting a very special horse? We'll look at how we see this incredible creature in modern times when we get back. The unicorns I've heard of are probably the unicorns from Harry Potter in Adopt Me on Roblox. Um, there's a lot of unicorns that are for sale, but they're like, they cost actual money. And it costs like 99 cents to get 80 Robux and 80 Robux doesn't even have, like it's not enough to buy it. Um, in My Little Pony, almost all the characters are, like, unicorns or ponies, and then Phoebe and her unicorn are a book series, and then there's Unicorn Diaries, and The Last Unicorn is, um, a movie and a book. In 1968, the American writer Peter S. Beagle published a novel that would go on to be a worldwide bestseller printed in many editions. In The Last Unicorn, the main character, called simply Unicorn, believes herself to be the last of her kind and sets out on a journey from her magically protected forest to find out what happened to the others like her. Beagle writes, The unicorn lived in a lilac wood, and she lived all alone. She was very old, though she did not know it, and she was no longer the careless color of sea foam but rather the color of snow falling on a moonlit night. But her eyes were still clear and unwearied, 
and she still moved like a shadow on the sea. The book was adapted into an animated film in 1982, and the unicorn became kind of a standard in the collective American imagination for what the creature was supposed to look like. The 1980s in the U.S. were actually a big time for unicorns. The same year the last unicorn came out, the toy company Hasbro released a new line of toys based on the success of the My Pretty Pony series. The new My Little Pony toys were such a success that winged ponies, unicorns, sea ponies, and flutter ponies were introduced soon after. Soon followed by comics, a movie, and various TV spin-offs, My Little Pony's unicorn characters have been among the most popular. Today, we may be more familiar with the long-running My Little Pony Friendship is Magic series that ran from 2010 to 2019. In it, the main character Twilight Sparkle becomes an alicorn, or a unicorn with wings, and unites with her five friends to form the magical bond that defines the series. Twilight Sparkle is purple, with bright pink streaks in her mane and tail. We've come a long way from the black-horned, elephant-footed unicorn that people once described. But while the white, or purple or rainbow, unicorns of today's stories often represent bravery, loyalty, or good magic, the lesser-known black unicorn sometimes represents the opposite. Depicted especially in games, comics, and fan art, the black unicorn is perceived by some to mean evil, while the white unicorn means good. Despite being a perhaps overly simple view of the colors of black and white as opposites, characters like Nightmare, the black unicorn with a flaming mane and tail in the game Dungeons and Dragons, are a way of representing dark magic, or being drawn to evil forces. Of course, there are some cuter representations of black unicorns, like one you may have heard of in the game Roblox, where the evil unicorn was a rare pet in the Adopt Me Halloween event in 2019. To this day, some people who practice magic, energy work, healing, and other spiritual practices reference the unicorn as a symbol of strength, intelligence, wisdom, and health. Modern spellbooks contain uses for unicorn powder, amulets, and other representations. Does that mean that they really believe unicorns exist? Maybe. Or maybe not. Maybe the unicorn like so many of the most popular creatures in epic tales, dragons or mermaids, maybe the image of it, whether it is truly real or not, is a way for humans to embody our hopes and fears and desires in a living thing. We are afraid that magic can be harnessed for evil just as easily as it can be for good. We aspire to being free and untamable the way that a unicorn is, even as we also tell stories about wanting to capture it. We imagine that the most rare creature of all must have every good quality we might want to have, though those qualities may change depending on the time or the society. Fierce, strong, brave, gentle, wise, majestic, kind, beautiful. A unicorn can be anything we imagine it to be. And hopefully, humans can too. Thanks for listening to Unspookable. I'm your host, Elise Parisian. This episode was written by Eleanor Riley Condit, produced and edited by Nate Dufort. Our theme song and additional music composed by Jesse Case. Our logo was created by Natalie Kewen, with episode artwork by Brianna Jacoby. Special thanks this week to our guest Blythe, 
Olivia, and Al. If you enjoy the show, make sure to tell your friends. You can leave us a rating and review in your podcast player of choice, or share an episode on social media. Speaking of social media, you can find Unspookable on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us for a peek behind the scenes and for updates on the show. Unspookable is part of the Soundsington Audio Network, committed to making quality programming for young audiences and the young at heart. For more information on our shows and the people behind them, go to www.soundsingtonmedia.com. Let Mysteries at Midnight be your destination for detective whodunits and captivating mystery stories. You'll hear classic stories like Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie's Poirot, and short tales from H.G. Wells, Charles Dickens, Edgar Allan Poe, and others. I'm Christopher, and I read these classic stories in the soothing style of a bedtime story, so you can listen to them in bed when you drift off to sleep. Search for Mysteries at Midnight on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app, and follow and subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes.